Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. This is Too Cruel, Tyson Taylor, and you are listening to Stewie's Podcast. You're listening to Stew's Wrestling Podcast. It's time for British wrestling sharpshooter, your host, Stu Palmer. A warm welcome, it's episode 91 of Stu Wrestling Podcast and my guest this week is former TNA superstar wrestler David Young. David started out in the business in the territory days in 1989 so you get to hear about how the business was so different to how it is and how we know it today. He was one of the first two wrestlers to sign a contract with TNA when it started in 2002. It was with himself and AJ Styles, a great friend to David for many years. He's still close with AJ today. So there's lots of great stories about the early days of TNA. Then going into the days of Spike when they moved to Florida at Universal Studios. David also talks about his fear of clowns angle that took place in TNA with the ICP, the Insane Clown Posse. So some funny stuff about that. You'll really enjoy this uh, take on that and the angle that they did many, many years ago. He also has a lovely story about someone he idolised in the business, the American dream, Dusty Rhodes, and taking the bionic elbow and some offence from Dusty in Ring of Honor when he was there. So, my guest for episode 91 of Stu's Wrestling Podcast, all the way from the good old US of A, it is former TNA wrestler, star, David Young. Enjoy. My guest, all the way from Georgia, formerly from Tennessee, is former TNA star. You've been in Ring of Honor, you're in Zero One. I'm sure I'm missing loads of promotions that you've wrestled for over the years. It is Mr. David Young on the show today. Absolute honour. I watched you many years ago in TNA. I can remember you being with Glenn Gilberti and the guys especially. And I can remember some matches. Uh, I can remember a match against Matt Bentley. That that yes. sticks out in my mind in Impact. But yeah, absolute honour to have you on today, sir. How are you? How are things? I'm very good. Thank you so much for having me too. This is really, really I mean, it's awesome to actually be here. Thank you. I, I appreciate I appreciate the time, man. I think maybe going back quite a way back. Now you started in pro wrestling in nineteen eighty nine. How I was sixteen years old. How how was it being so young and going into the business? I know the business now is totally different to how it was in the late 80s. But, yes, some of the experiences early on, David. I actually got to start right when the territories were still – they were dying out just as I came in. And uh, you still had Continental. You still had Memphis. And you still had places like that to go. So, I mean, that was the best part about being a wrestler then is because there were so many different places to go. There was a time in the early 2000s where it was hard to find work. 
Like there were a lot of places. I mean, there were very few places to go and there was very few places to make money in the, in the business. Uh, I remember when TNA started and uh, I'd actually been on the road with AJ Styles. Uh, we had just did a show in Tampa, Florida, and we were coming back from Tampa together and we were going to uh, the Tojo Yamamoto Memorial Show in Nashville, Tennessee. And we were wrestling each other at the show. And uh, we had done a match in Wildside where we did a 20-minute time limit draw. And we wrestled for 20 minutes. And then we asked for five or 10 more minutes. And when they gave it to us, we did another 10 minutes of nothing but crazy insane you know any kind of flip ranas you name it moonsaults to the floors i mean we did everything you possibly do and we went to another time limit draw so we did the same match in nashville and uh alan didn't say anything to me until we got there but he told me that jerry jerry was starting a new promotion called tna and that he was going to be there to actually watch him wrestle so we had to have a really good match so the night that we were going to do the, the match, we were in the back and we were talking and uh, Bert Prentice brought uh, Jerry Jarrett into the dressing room and they stepped between us with their backs to me and he introduced AJ to him, but he never introduced me to Jerry Jarrett. Like, I never got to say, hello, how are you doing? And uh, Bert turned to me and he's like, uh, could you go get Chris Harris for us? And I was like, yeah, I'll be right back. So I go get Chris Harris and so I just didn't think anything about it. So we go out and do the match and we did the 20 minute time limit draw. And then we did the, the other 10 minutes. And uh, as soon as I stepped through the curtain, Jerry Jarrett took me outside and he offered me a contract for TNA. The very first two contracts that were ever signed for TNA were me and AJ Styles. That's, that's quite something, David. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was incredible. I mean, and thank God AJ can make you look like a star no matter what. I mean, he could you could throw a broom in the ring with him and he could make it look like it knows what it's doing. Who else who else was in and around the the promotion early on? And did you think did you think it was gonna be a struggle getting TNA off the ground? I know it went on to be very successful, but we'd heard about startup promotions off the back of WWE buying WCW right. and it didn't work out. What were your thoughts and feelings early in the early times of TNA? Uh, when the company first started, I mean, I think Jerry and Jeff had put in maybe $250,000 to start the promotion. And that went really, really fast. Like, it, mm -hmm. I honestly think, like, by the third pay-per-view, they were ready to shut the doors. And then Dixie Carter stepped in. She was actually just a producer. Or actually, she did, uh, like, the advertisements and stuff for the show. And when she stepped in, that's when we actually, you know, started making a lot of headway. And actually, after that, I mean, every week somebody was putting a nail in the coffin for TNA. I just really got tired of hearing that nobody paid attention anymore. Like, within the company, we knew we were going to be working for a while. It was fantastic. I remember in the early days, like, you know, you had CM Punk, Raven, Kid Cash, Jerry yes, Lynn. Yes, I wrestled I mean, it was just, so many times. I, I watched it. I watched obviously it was weekly weekly pay-per-views in the early days, wasn't it? It was it was an incredible, even in the early days. I know a lot of people say about the upsurge years later with the company, but I think you yeah, guys I mean, you had so many guys too, like Jerry Lynn. Oh, I can never say enough good things about Jerry Lynn. He was like so amazing. Like just to be out there with him was like a night off. As soon as you knew you had Jerry Lynn, you knew you were going to have a great match and you were going to have the easiest match of the night. And he could just make something simple look so really good. He was just, his timing was probably better than anybody else in the business. Who else did you enjoy sharing the ring, ring with in the early times? Uh, you know who I hated wrestling? <laughs> and I was so happy that he was my tag team partner, Elix Skipper. Like, I hated wrestling Elix so bad. He would hit me so hard that I would literally, like, one night he hit me so hard, I just stopped and looked at him and said, no, 
And I turned around and started to dive in the ring to get away from him. And he started laughing and was pulling me out by my ankles while I was digging into the mat trying to get away. <laughs> but Elix, God, he would snap marry you and do that kick to your back. And he would kick you so hard that your hands would go numb. Like, literally, I lost control of my arms a couple of times just from him kicking me in the back so hard. He did Muay Thai kickboxing. So yeah. kick through you when he would kick and it would just hurt so bad. He kicked me in the thigh in Salt Lake City one night. I thought he broke my leg. Like, literally, I had to stop and just get out of the ring and go sit in the front row. And I was like, no, no, I'm not going back. <laughs> but I was so happy when they made us a tag team because then I knew everybody else had to deal with that, not me. But, uh, man, me and AJ had a few good matches. We had a couple of bad matches, too, and it was my fault, and it was nerves. Um, I had never done pay-per-view. In my entire life. I mean, my very first pay-per-view was the first DNA pay-per-view. And I didn't know how to do a lot of things. And there weren't a lot of people there willing to tell you how, how to do things. You had to figure it out yourself. And that takes time. I mean, it's just, you know, trial and error. Nobody would be like, you need to be at this mark at a certain time. You need to make sure that you get a two-minute cue. You need to know. I mean, timings on a match... On the indies, we just edited the match, you know, in, in the post. But there, you literally have to go by the time that the referee gives you in the ring. And I, I knew nothing about stuff like that. So I would be really nervous sometimes, and I would blow myself up in a match just thinking about it. And I had a really bad match with AJ. I remember that one specifically because, I mean, if you can make AJ look bad, you can make anybody look bad, I guess. But uh, that's the only one that really stuck out as a bad match to me. Uh, I had so much fun with so many people there. I love tagging with Disco. Um, Disco was one of my favorite people there. He always entertained me. And uh, I came up with the thing for ICP uh, where I was afraid of clowns. Yeah, I remember and it. I, I remember it well. Yeah, he was terrified of clowns, and he was so scared of clowns, he wouldn't come in your house if you had clown figurines in your house. So I just used that as an idea because when they first came in, nobody wanted to wrestle because they didn't think they would have a good match with them. And I was like, no, this is the match everybody's going to be watching. This is what we need to do, Glenn. Go tell them we'll do it. And then I told him to pitch the idea about the, me being afraid of clowns, and they went right for that. That's cool, man. It's just mad. It's mad how you can come up with stuff sometimes, isn't it? Yeah, yeah it was. And Dutch Mantel helped a lot, too. He came up with a losing streak for me, too. Uh, Dutch Mantel would fight for me when there was nothing left to fight for. I've been let go from TNA more times than more people that I've ever known. I mean, there was one day I showed up, and I actually read in the kayfabe sheets that I was fired while I was on the show. Oh, my God. So I, I literally looked at Jeff beside me and handed it to him. And he looked at it, and he just looked at me, and he goes, don't worry about it, and just handed it back. And, of course, they took me off TV. It took forever to get back. But, yeah, there were several different times I was let go. Who, in your mind, was, was an underutilized talent in the company? Someone that could have gone on to bigger and better maybe got up the card more somebody yeah like they didn't push that you maybe felt could have been pushed oh gosh uh kit cash could have they could have made a lot of money with kit cash because i mean he had the, the perfect he had that Shawn michaels attitude and it was real like he was really bitter like he would literally come to the show so mad every night you know and he he would cuss Jeff, and it seemed like the more he did crazy things, the more that they would do for him. So, I mean, I think David Cash could have been a lot of money for those guys. I think him and AJ would have had a really good run against each other. I loved him in ECW. Yes. I, he was yeah. fantastic. I know he, obviously, when he got to WWE, uh, he, he was, I, I felt he was, they changed his style, didn't they? A little bit, like... But in ECW, he wrestled totally different. I loved, I loved his style in ECW. I know they wanted him as like the hard man, one of the pit bulls. Um, yeah, I just, yeah, I, I do, I do agree with you. I think most guys I know that go to WWE 
And and I, I mean, most guys. I mean, there's some guys that I'm sure don't have this problem, but like Chris Harris, he had a really hard time when he went to the yeah. WWE. And according to him, every move he did, they told him he couldn't do it. So, I mean, I, I know he had one match one night where he did like 40 clotheslines in the match, and that's because he said he didn't know anything else he was allowed to do. So he just did clotheslines nonstop. He's just hamstrung by creating. They gave him a list of moves he wasn't allowed to do anymore. And it basically took away his entire offense. Why? Why did they? Why did they do that to him when they've seen what he could do with James Storm? What he could do on his own in TNA? Yeah, and I think Storm had kind of the same problem when he went there because he wasn't happy when he went. He didn't stay very long. It's like um, just my mind's getting jogged by people that went over earlier on. Uh, Frankie Kazarian. Yes. Should oh man, he was another one that was so good. Uh, and Chris Daniels. Uh, Chris Daniels is such a general. I mean, like, Chris has always needed to be behind the scenes as well as in the ring. I mean, I just think Chris has, like, got such a great mind for the business. Such a smart guy. How was it transitioning to Florida when Impact moved? How how was how was that for you? Because you were around the company around that time as well for a while. Yes. How, how, uh, how I really I enjoyed going to Universal. Like I, I loved going there because WCW ran the same building that we were in, and uh, I don't know. It, it was you felt more like a star once we got to Florida, and uh, when we first got there, we didn't even have TV. Like you know, we had like internet pay per views that people would be able to watch and things like that, and they didn't even have a TV thing. And we started talking to Spike and. Uh, I remember when we got Spike, the first got it, I think we had it an hour, or was it two hours? But nonetheless, it wasn't enough. Whatever it was, I mean, you'd get like three minutes to be in the ring. And then uh, they said that they were adding another hour, and we were going to have three hours of TV. And at that point, and, and believe me, some guys were really jealous and bitter you would think well shit that means jeff's promo is going to go from 10 minutes to 20 minutes and his match just got another 15 minutes so nobody's going to get more time <coughs> and then that, that happened a lot i mean i've been in the ring in tna and my time get cut just so they could add a few more minutes to jeff's match on on the main event how did you how did you feel when that happened? What was running through your mind? Well, I mean, there was one time I was in a six-man tag with Ron and Don Harris, and Sting was actually coming in in the match. And as soon as we got in the ring, they told us we had one minute. <laughs> I mean, we just did our entrances, and that was it. I mean, we had to jumpstart it, and that was, all the offense was gone. That's crazy. That's ridiculous, ridiculous, isn't it? But like, yeah, and it would be that spare of the moment, too. I mean, like, you would think you have six minutes, and then when you get to the ring, they, they're like, hey, we cut your match four minutes. How, just going on to Sting, how did you have any dealings with Sting? How was Sting in a, in a backstage capacity in the locker room? Uh, I'll be honest with you. The only way I knew Sting was there is when Sting came to the ring. <laughs> he stayed away from the guys a lot. I mean, I would see him in catering every now and then, but for the most part, he would stay in his dressing room. He had his own private dressing room. He didn't dress with us. I mean, he had air conditioning and a big screen TV while the rest of us were in a trailer <laughs> right behind Universal Studios. Did, did that piss? Did that piss guys off, or was that just how how you know? No, all of us kind of knew our knew our place. I mean, he sting. <laughs> You know, I auditioned for the Sting movie, and <laughs> I had never auditioned for anything. And as soon as I walked into the building in Nashville, Terry Taylor grabbed me and he said, hey, I need you to go in here and do whatever they tell you to do. And I still had my bag in my hand and everything, and he pushes me in this room, and I stop, and I'm in front of a green screen. And I look, and there's three people sitting at a table, and uh, one of them says, could you say I'll get the car? And I said, I'll get, and he goes, next. 
As soon as I got that much out, he goes, next. I was like, well, wait, I can say it a different way. Oh, no, it's okay. Next. So I walk out, and I made it a point to watch the damn Sting movie. (laughs) I'm thinking about it. And it may be the worst movie I've ever watched in my entire life. It was a movie about Sting where Sting could not play Sting. (laughs) And I still wasn't good enough to get the car. That (laughs) That really hurt my ego. Like to, I'd like to ask about going back. Like when you know when you were training first, starting out, how 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 was that? And um, yeah, just just some going back a bit. I think when you were first starting out, you know, uh, all I ever wanted to be was a wrestler. My entire life, I've never wanted to be anything else. I mean, when I was five years old, my entire bedroom was just wallpapered with wrestling posters. Uh, I think everything I did in my entire life, I mean, I'd take weightlifting in school just so I could be ready for wrestling. I'd wrestle in school just to be ready for wrestling. Gymnastics classes, you know, anything I did, it was just so I could be a wrestler. So uh, I got the opportunity to go to a show one night, my very first live show. And when I got there, one of my friends was doing security for the show. His dad was the one, the promoter. And uh, he asked me if I wanted to help do the security with him. So I started doing that first. And it just snowballed from there. And the next thing you know, I started training in a class with a guy named Lynn Fields, which was so limited. I mean, it didn't take very long to get better than the person that was being trained by. And And I would like go to other training classes just to be their bump dummy. And I would just go in there and let them do the moves to me. That way, I could learn more that way. And a guy named Larry Santos Mm -hmm. uh, took me under his wing. Mm -hmm. I think he was a jobber for WCW for a while. And uh, he took me on the road and just took me just from show to show and taught me how to actually wrestle. I mean, there's a difference between doing moves and learning how to work. A big difference, to be honest with you. I mean, workers can go out there and they can do 30 minutes and never lock up. As to where wrestlers have to get in there and do all their moves and they have a move set and so on and so forth. I've worked matches with guys like Scott Armstrong. And we did 20 minutes one night and we did a body scissors for 25. (laughs) I mean, we did nothing and we still tore the house down. Mm -hmm. And Bullet Bob Armstrong was a big part of that. I mean, he kind of took me under his wing, too. And I was always on shows with the Armstrong guys Mm -hmm. and Bullet. And uh, Tracy Smothers used to call me the Bastard Armstrong because I was always there. They thought I was one of Bullet's illegitimate kids. But I I learned so much for those guys. I mean, Brad Armstrong. God, what he was so my hero when I was a kid, too. Like, every drop kick I ever did, I tried to do it exactly like Brad Armstrong. I thought he had the prettiest drop kick in the business. Just, I, I, I think, like, he, he's another guy, isn't he? He was, he was fantastic, but he should have been even bigger when he, when he got to WCW. No, because the, the problem I saw with Brad, and you didn't, like, Road Dog's personality in the back is exactly the same on camera as to where Brad, he was as he was funnier than road dog in the back. But as soon as he got in front of the camera, he turned into 1980s wrestler where he had to talk stern. And, and that's the only thing that held him back. It definitely wasn't work. If he could have got his personality to come out on TV, he was one of the funniest guys. He's the first person I ever heard use any of the catchphrases that road dog used. Mm -hmm. I heard those from him way before I ever heard, I, before I'd ever met Brian. And um, those guys were just so good. I mean, Scott was always the hothead of the bunch. Like Scott was the first to be able to get in a fight in the dressing room. It's the first time I'd ever saw that was with Scott Armstrong. And um, those boys just taught me so much. I mean, then and they would teach you, like, the Bullet was so good at to showing me how to talk to people, like, in the crowd and things like that, just how to treat the fans and 
you know, I think that's important too. I think that's just as important as knowing how to go out there and talk to your fans and actually, you know, make relationships with the fans at those shows. And I, and I still to this day, when I go to shows, I do exactly the same stuff I did back then. It stayed, it stayed with you all those years. Yeah. Yeah. And it was always little things too. Like, uh, me and Elix used to watch wrestling together sometimes, and Elix would be like, "Oh, I'm going to do that move," and I'd be like, "Oh, I'm going to do that facial expression." <laughs> I, was like, I was like, "There's no way in hell I'm doing a new move, but I will definitely do that facial expression, and I will fall exactly like that." It's incredible. Who were who were some of the guys you watched wrestling from a young age? So yeah. Who, who were some of the guys that you loved watching when you were growing up? I think, yeah, I want to ask you that. The guys that you gravitated to. I was always a tag team wrestling fan. Like the Midnight Express was one of my all-time favorite tag teams. The Rock and Roll Express, of course. And to become friends with those guys, especially Ricky and Robert. Like me and Ricky, I mean, I know him very, very well still today. And Robert, as soon as you know we see each other, we always sit down and talk. and. Uh, the only thing I, I love Bobby Eaton, I never got to meet Stan Lane. And I've done a lot of shows with Jim Cornette, and I have so much fun every time I'm around Jim Cornette. I've been around the business so long that Jim Cornette used to like pick on me at shows, and he'd be like, anybody in here, anybody here ever see David Young's first match? I did. It was a cave drawing. <laughs> Because, I mean, I'd been around forever. 1989 wasn't just yesterday. No, absolutely. Absolutely. 30-odd years, man. Yeah, uh, well, like, even my name. Like, when I got David Young, um, my real name is David Williams. Mm -hmm. And David Young came from me being the youngest person in the dressing room everywhere we went. So they were just like, ah, you're young. You're going to be David Young. And it stuck. It always did. I think going back, going back to your career. Now we took before we recorded. You were saying you spent some time in the UK. Obviously, I'm here in the UK. We love our wrestling. We're very passionate. I'd still say we've got some of the best crowds in world terms. Oh, I would. Yeah, I, some of the stuff I watch there from there now, and I watch a lot of stuff. I'm a big fan of like British wrestlers. Like uh, I think Lana Austin may be one of the best female wrestlers in the business. And why she doesn't have a contract with WWE now, I have no clue. I mean, I think she's amazing. She's not. I love away. watching her matches because she wrestles exactly like guys. I mean, she hits hard. She, I mean, British wrestling's just a lot tougher than American wrestling to me. When I first went there, I got in the ring with John Moss and it was like being in a real fight the whole time I was in there. So, I mean, it was a learning experience, which it, it helped me a lot too when I went to Japan because, I mean, you know how Japan is. I mean, it made me to where I didn't mind being hit hard because any idiot can hit you hard. <laughs> so, I mean, I would tell guys like TNA, they brought Jeff Hammond in, a NASCAR guy. And they wanted me to do a thing with him on TV. And I was like, you know what, Jeff, just hit me as hard as you can. <laughs> I said, I would rather you hit me as hard as you can. And it looked like you didn't than to not barely touch me. And it just looked like shit on national TV. I was like, don't hit me in the face, like the teeth or my nose. But I mean, if you hit me in the jaw or the forehead or something like that, I can take that all day long. Just hit me as hard as you possibly can. And it worked out. Oh my god! Oh my days! I think like, what was it like? What was some of the stuff like the culture over here that you took away from your trips to the UK? What was different? You know, everything America? we did was two out of three falls, which was odd to me because we never did that here. I mean, two out of three falls match was like a big deal in the United States. Like that's something you built up to to actually have a match like that. And there, it was just part of the stipulations of actually being in the match. And you actually took a small break between each fall. Exactly like a boxing match. But we, we did a lot of things in the UK when I was there. I mean, we like fought. The first time I'd ever fought on a TV studio and actually fought 
up the steps and rolled all the way down the steps to the bottom and things like that. I mean, I had so much fun when I was there. We'd done a tournament, and I don't remember what they called it, but I know it was UK versus the United States. And I think Chris Champion won the tournament. I don't know if you remember him from WCW. He was uh, Yoshi Kwan, I think, in WCW. And he was uh, part of the new breed in the 80s. But uh, he did a vampire thing, and I think he won the actual tournament. And I think he beat Gary Steele. I'm, I was just waiting. <laughs> I thought you were going to say something else. We can. We... I thought there was a delay. Uh, no, no, no. I then. just, I was just. I, I can cut. I can cut some of this, David. The uh, we edit if there's any pausing and stuff like that. So don't worry. Um, okay. Trying to think now. Yeah, going back, going back to Japan. Now, again, how, how was that, the culture there, just the fact that you've been able to go around the, the world with wrestling, right. that, that's incredible. I, I love hearing, I just love hearing about, like, you know, how you... You know, I never thought I would. Like, wrestling was a hobby for me when I first started. Like, I was a kid. I was a teenage kid, and I never saw myself going anywhere. Like, I remember the first time I had to go to WCW and do jobs. And that was the first time I really made money wrestling. Like they paid us, they paid us $150 for the first match. And if you wrestled twice on the same day, you got an extra $75 or something like that. So, I mean, that was where it was actually like a job, you know, while I was there. And, uh, like I would talk to guys like Jim Duggan and he would be like, you know, man, I'm just going to job. And I'd be like, well, that's kind of why I'm here. I didn't. I didn't think you were going to give me any offense while I was out there. I mean, you're Jim Duggan, and I'm nobody. Why would you? And that was my attitude the whole time. And mm-hmm. I mean, I probably should have thought different, but I just looked at those guys like you. You're a kid. I was like 19, 20 years old, and I'm in a dressing room with Ric Flair, and I literally lost my breath the first time I ever met Ric Flair in person. Like I, he just walked by me, and I was like, Oh my God, it's Ric Flair. <laughs> Ricky Steamboat was like one of my all-time heroes. I thought Ricky Steamboat was the greatest babyface. Ricky Steamboat, Ricky Morton probably could have ran for president against each other in 1986, and one of them would have won. There's no doubt in my mind. Ricky Morton was more over than anybody in the world at that point. I mean, the Rock and Roll Express, I mean, nobody could touch them in 1986. Probably through 91, those guys were still, you know, top notch. And the Midnight Express, I mean, you had Jim Cornette, which is a genius by himself. I mean, don't get me wrong, Jimmy's crazy. Uh, I wrestled for Jimmy one time in the Louisville Gardens when I had the NWA World Tag Team belt. Uh, NWA World Tag Team titles. And uh, we wrestled a main event in the Louisville Gardens. Brock Lesnar was the opening match. And uh, I think I know Brock Lesnar was on the show Big Show was there Who else was there uh, I want to say John Cena was there Was Randy, Randy Orton Yeah Randy Orton was definitely there I yeah. did a lot of different shows with him in Nashville too And uh, he was very humble and Very quiet could you, When he had hang out in the dressing rooms Could you tell them guys We're going to get propelled and be the top top level talent yeah well time. you can look at them and tell i mean yeah i don't I, know about you but i can always tell a star when they walk in the room. I, I think because i i like to ask you because you you've been in the business i'm i'm a fan first and foremost so like yeah fan fan perspective you can tell but as yourself being a wrestler it's cool to get your your take on what you know well, I, I, at the same right there's guys that stick out like i see guys come in the dressing room and i'm like uh, he's nothing like everybody else in here. You know, I mean, that guy's going to be a star. And I've never told anybody that that didn't actually go somewhere and actually make money in this business. I've never looked at somebody and said, you're going to be a star. And they were, every one of them. AJ, I used to tell him that. I was like, you're going to be huge. You're going to be such a big star. And look at him now. I mean, he's... What did he What did he say to you at the t- at that time when you were telling? Oh, him he that? never thought it would actually happen like that. I remember when AJ was a landscaper, and he would like be out 
you know, laying uh, grass all day long for a living. I mean, I've known AJ since he very first broke into the business. It's incredible. I, I, I'll tell you one match that sticks out. It was lockdown, lockdown 2005, him in Abyss, when the cage door, the cage door yes. was... The cage That's when he dove open. into the crowd and came and off the back of the chair, right? He, he like slipped under the guardrail. Yes, he did, he did, he did the, the baseball head, slide under he the guardrail. He did guard the head scissors, he did like the head scissors takedown. He slid under that gap. I still don't know to this day how he got under that gap. And, and that sequence, that opening sequence to the match, like Abyss hadn't yeah. got any offense on him. And that, that was kind of the time when I knew he was going to be next level. That match for me, 2005. Abyss is another one of those guys. I mean, maybe the nicest guy I've ever met in my life. By far. I mean, Abyss... Abyss is that guy, and I used to call it the what about boxing. He would come in the back, and the first thing he would say is, hey, man, how you doing? He'd shake your hand. He'd go, do we have heat? I was like, why would we have heat? He goes, well, you know how this business is. You never know if you got heat with somebody. And I thought I'd check and see before, you know, we go any further. I was like, no, I don't think we do. And then I'd see him do the same thing to other people in the dressing room, yeah. and he was constantly trying to make sure nobody was ever mad at him. And then he plays. But I love this. Then he plays that character, and he's totally so well. He he's totally away from what he is. You know, I know he did Joseph Park, didn't he? Off, you know, on the yeah. flip side. Uh, and and I think Abyss came from Dutch Mantel. I think the character came from Dutch Mantel in Puerto Rico, and I think that's where he started doing. I, in Puerto Rico. I wish I wish he, he'd have got over to WWE and took Undertaker on and came. You know, at one point he was gonna go. Like, that he was crazy. supposed to be the guy that came out of the coffin on The Undertaker at one of the pay-per-views, and he turned him down at the last minute and decided to re-sign with TNA to stay loyal to the company. Which, which is incredible, isn't it, to think? Yeah, yeah, it is. Loyalty. I, you know. I would have loved to if he had gone. I would have loved to have seen how far he could have gone if he had actually, you know, shown up and... Because, I mean, he had a lot of potential to be, like, the next big thing, like Mankind and things like that. He was, he was, he was amazing. He was amazing. I loved, I loved watching him. He was uh, – and, and, and playing – when he could play face and play heel, he did that. Yes. Very, he did that yes. very well. He did that. He could adapt, which is when you can play two personas, you know. Uh, when I very first met Abyss uh, – like, I don't, he called himself Prince Justice, I think. And literally, like, he was as big as he was as Abyss, but he would go out there and bump like a cruiserweight. And literally, you'd have to tell him, like, please don't bump like that anymore. Don't go out there and give that guy that much. He's half your size. You're just falling around like that. I said, it makes you look bad. Don't do it again. And once he, he got the concept of how big he was, I mean, and tough. Oh, my God, he was so tough. I watched him and Sabu have a barbed wire match one night. And both of them come in the back, just cut all to hell. Like Abyss had, they put 175 stitches in his arm alone while he just sat there and smoked a cigarette. And they didn't have anything to numb it. They just sewed it up while he just sat there. And he took 175 stitches. And then we went to the bar. Yeah. <laughs> we just went to the bar and he just sat there with blood all over and drinking the whole night. <laughs> only only in the rest of the I mean, business. he's just so tough. Oh, well, wouldn't even get stitches. Like, he was bleeding to death. And they would be like, we really need to stitch that inner thigh. And he's like, oh, no, it'll be fine. I need the scar. It'll, it's okay. <laughs> Amazing. I mean, Sabu would not get stitches. You'd, it would take an act of Congress for him to get stitches. Which, I mean, all of us got stitches at some point. Yeah. I was going to ask you, um, what current wrestling do you watch? Now, some guys, like veterans like yourself, some guys just do not watch it. But I know you obviously know what's going on. Uh, yeah, well, I don't get to watch it like I used to. Like no. I, I, I'm really, really busy with my work now, and yeah. I stay gone a lot. And, like... I wish that I had more time. Like, I love to watch Will Ospreay wrestle. Like, he's one of my favorites. 
I mean, I thought, I thought those matches between him and Ricochet in mm-hmm. Japan were two, you know, some of the most amazing things I ever saw in my life. Uh, man, who else? Like I said, Lana Austin. I try to watch a lot of her stuff. Anything that I can find on YouTube and post it on her site. Yeah, mom. Uh, who else? I can't think of any young guys. Like, I see so many young guys now. Like, it used to be so rare to see new guys coming into the business. But now, like, I just went to a show a few weeks back, and I think it was in Rome, Georgia, and uh, TNA was having a seminar there. Scott Demore and uh, uh, Luke Gallows were having a seminar. And there were probably 200 wrestlers there, you know, just young kids that were all perfect abs and just look like wrestlers. I mean, they all look like athletes, but none of them actually got in there and worked. They just all did moves and didn't show any personality while they were in the ring. And that's the only thing I've noticed about wrestlers today is that I don't see a lot of characters anymore. I see more people just want to go in there and do moves and let the moves define them instead of letting their personality define them. And I've always felt that the people that made a lot of money for this business are the people that could just look at the camera and make money. Mm. You know, they didn't have to actually go in there and do a lot. Just natural. Yeah. Just didn't have to think about it, can just do it. Yeah, that was my downfall. I could go out there and make somebody look like a star, but I, it was hard for me to make myself look like a star. And I struggled at it. That's why I like tag team wrestling, because I could build off of my partner's charisma and then have a really good match. But for me to go out there and try to get me over, I was terrible at it. And I was a horrible actor, too. I mean, I really, really was. I, Scott Demore said he thought that my comedy stuff was the best stuff he'd ever seen. But that was just me being me, the comedy stuff. I mean, especially the being afraid of clowns. And <laughs> the, the losing streak was always fun. The midgets beat me. The referee pinned me. You know, women pinned me. Yeah. But that was just fun for me. <clears throat> I, did, I never really took it too serious, though. And that was my problem is I never looked at myself as a star, you know. And I didn't feel like one until I would go to the in- indies. Because when I was in TNA, I felt like everybody in the dressing room was better than me. You know, I thought everybody was so, I was like, ah, Jesus, he's so much better than me that he should be getting a push. And I, I, that's probably the wrong way to think. Like I said, I was the guy that would go out there and make the star look good more than, you know, making myself look like a star. I would. How was your time in Ring of Honor? You know, I was only there like three or four times, mm-hmm. and I had so much fun every time I went. Uh, my favorite night was the match between me, Adam Jacobs, and AJ Styles, the three-way. And uh, that's the match that actually got me booked in Japan with uh, Carino because uh, CW couldn't make the tour, so Carino brought me as his partner. Mm-hmm. And I wrestled Carino about two weeks before that in uh, – Tampa, Florida, too. And we had a really, really good match. So, I mean, uh, the Ring of Honor match, though, with me, AJ, and Adam was amazing. It's probably one of the best matches in my career. Uh, Paul Bertram. I went to a WWE show, and as soon as Paul Bertram saw me, he came up, shook my hand, and told me that was his favorite match that he'd ever watched, which was awesome for me. I mean, I've never had anybody come up and say something like that to me at a show. But, yeah, AJ really, really worked hard that night to make us all look good. And I busted AJ open that night, too. Like, uh, there was a steel bar down the side of the ring, and we didn't know it. And when I slammed his head into the turn- into the side of the ring, he actually split his forehead completely open and uh, stayed bloody the entire match. <laughs> I felt so bad. But we had an amazing match still. Adam Jacobs was so funny because – Adam would be in, he was talking to me and he's like, well, you killed Alan. He's dead. He's laying out there dead, Dave. What are we going to do now? You ruined the whole match. Thanks, Dave. (laughs) And he's talking to me like that the whole time we're waiting on AJ to come in for the spot. I said, he'll be here. He's coming. And then we turn and both hit him at the same time. But uh, I did a spot with Dusty 
in a ring of honor. Uh, we did a show where me and iceberg started fighting at the beginning of the show in the middle of the street. And we fought down the streets of Philadelphia. And then at the end of the show, they did like the lights out thing where they went dark. And then they were like, wait a minute, wait a minute. What is this? And they bring the camera back up and me and iceberg fight through the back door and all the way through the arena. And we fight to the ring. And I think CW comes out and somebody else. I want to say uh, Onyx. No. Oh, man. What was his name? Uh, oh, uh, I can't remember his name. Jesus. I know CW was one of the guys that came out. And then you hear the Midnight Rider music start to play. And you see the Midnight Rider standing in the audience and we're daring him to come in the ring. And then Dusty comes in from behind. And I got to do the thing where he did the, you know, the left hand, left hand, left hand, and then does a little shimmy and shake and does the elbow to the top of the head. It was like the greatest moment of my life. Dusty was another one of my heroes. I mean, Dusty Rhodes. I can't say enough about that, man. He's that guy, though. He's the guy I was talking about where he could just look at the camera and make money. You know, he could talk like nobody else. Such a good talker. And I learned a lot from Dusty when he was the booker at TNA. I was going to ask, now you were famed for a move, and I want you to, I want you to tell, I would like to you to tell the viewers, the listeners about the move. You were, the spine buster? You were well known. You were, I remember, I, I've got to say, you perfected, you perfected that. So I'm going to give you some credit you need if you to watch how i do it i do it exactly the opposite of arn anderson like he goes to the left and i go to the right and i had uh blown my knee out and i'd had to have knee surgery and that's why i didn't pivot to the left because my right knee was stronger so i would pivot to the right and when i would go to the right i could get more power in it because i could throw my left shoulder into it and slam them down faster and that's the reason it looked so different when i did it <laughs> But, yeah, it was just a fluke thing. Like, I'd, I'd hurt my knee and had knee surgery. And when I came back from the knee surgery, I was having to compensate just for not being able to go to the left. So I took it to the right. Instead, it turned out 10 times better. But Wildside helped with that a lot, too. Like, they really loved me doing the move. And that move was also, like, do you know who Air Paris is? Air Paris? No, I'm not... No, I've got to be honest. I'll always be honest that no. And I know, you know, I've been watching pro wrestling since 1990. AJ Styles was in WCW. He was his tag team partner. Mm-hmm. They were air raid together. And he was another guy that I had such really good chemistry with. Like every time we got in the ring, we it was money. And we tore the house down everywhere we went. Like, you know, me and him would work in Nashville every single night working for Burt Prentice, and he would make sure we were the main event every single night just because he knew we were going to have a great match. And he was a daredevil, and he would move so fast that I would hit him with the spine buster, and I would try to hurt him <laughs> every time just so I could slow him down to the point to where I could keep up with him. And, man, we had a match one night, and it was insane. And I think he could probably still find it on DVD somewhere. I know I saw it online and it was a tables, ladders and chairs match. And uh, I put him on a table and I went to the top of the concession stand, which was like 15 feet high. And when I look over the edge, he's not on the table anymore. And I turn around and he starts punching me and I start like wobbling towards the edge of the, like I'm going to fall off the top of the concession stand. And I cut him off and I press him over my head And I turn around like I'm going to throw him and he slides behind my back and starts punching me again. And I almost fall off the edge again. And I press him up over my head again and I throw him off the top of the concession stand through the table on the concrete floor. And he told me that if he wasn't hurt, (laughs) he would put, put one leg up so I'd know. So when he put the leg up, I climbed down and the promoter was like, we're done. This match is over. You guys are going to kill each other. I can't do this. So I run and I spear him out of their arms and I drag him all the way to the ring and he's lifeless and I throw him in the ring and I go for the pin and as soon as the ref goes for three, he barely kicks out and this building explodes. I mean, it was like 
it was the match that got us booked in Wildside, to be honest with you, because Bill Barron saw the match, and that was the only reason he wanted us is because of this match. And Frank was just another one of those guys. I mean, he was just incredible in the ring. He still is, by far. I mean, once again, I still – and he tells everybody that I learned how to do the spine buster by trying to kill him with it. <laughs> Oh, I need to. I need to ask you: Are you are you going to get in the ring again? Now I know you've obviously had stuff's took its toll with age. Would you Would you like to get back in the ring? Yeah, I think I'd have a couple of good matches in me, but I'd want it to be with somebody that I really want to wrestle. You know, I would love to wrestle. I would love to wrestle like a really young guy that I could get in there and actually, you know, make us look like a star and. Uh, there's a thing coming up in Atlanta, Georgia. It's called Dragon Con, and I try to do that. It's been two years since they've actually had a Dragon Con because of COVID and things like that, and they're going to do it this year. So they've already contacted me and asked me if I'd be interested. And I was like, oh, God, yes. The first time I went, uh, I hadn't been in the ring in two years. Mm-hmm. And uh, I get there, and I, as soon as I walk through the door, there's 1,500 people there. And I'm like... Oh, God, this is going to be so bad. <laughs> I was like, I'm going to suck. They're going to hate me. I said, maybe they'll put me on first so they'll forget how bad I am. I walk in the back and I start talking to the promoter. And he goes, well, you're in the main event. I said, why? Why would you do that to yourself? No. <laughs> what is wrong with you? I was like, no. And I think I wrestled Michael Judas and Azriel from Wildside. And those guys are so good. I mean, those wild side guys, all of those guys were stars. I mean, any of them could have been signed at any minute. Iceberg and Tank, those guys were like, Iceberg took years off my life (laughs) with the hardcore matches that we had. New Jack was another guy that I had a lot of matches with. I had a lot of matches with New Jack on the Indies. How was New Jack? Uh, As a pair, uh, Jerome Young was one of the best people I ever met, and New Jack would turn on you like a pit bull just so <laughs> he could look good in front of the crowd. Uh, and that was anywhere. Like if you were in a bar with him, he would turn on you just so he could like be New Jack. <clears throat> uh, I've been in a lot of really scary situations with New Jack. Like one night, and this was right after he had cut the kid in Philadelphia for the. Uh, St. Valentine's Day Massacre. Mm-hmm. And we wrestled the match, and the promoter told us we couldn't bleed. And of course, we're both bleeding buckets in the ring. And the promoter's mad. I mean, he's just so mad. So at the end of the match, New Jack asked for the microphone, and he refused to give it to him. And New Jack leans down and he goes, I will not cut you. And he pulls a knife out of his pocket and he puts it to my forehead. And he tells the promoter if he doesn't give him the microphone that he's going to cut me open just like he did the kid in Philadelphia. And thank God he gave him the microphone. I was laying there just so scared. I was like, oh, I'm going to die. This is how it's going to happen. Right here in a ring. Why would it happen in a ring? <laughs> but, yeah, Jack was a scary guy. I mean, it wasn't, a, it wasn't an act mm-hmm. that you saw. I mean, he really was that crazy. Legit. Absolutely legit. David, what would be some tips for guys who want to get into the business? Some some advice from yourself. You're around the business for so, so long. A lot of experience. I think I love asking you guys. I love asking the veterans of the the sport just to see, like, what they need to do. It's so different now than when I was in it. Like, you know, my son-in-law is uh, in the WWE as we speak. Uh, Asher Hale is married to my daughter mm-hmm. and uh, he's, I think he just signed a three-year deal. And I heard, I, I don't get to watch him very often, but I, I mean, he's doing amazing on 205 live and uh, NXT. Uh, and he's another one of those guys. He goes out there and his move sets are what gets him over. Not so much his personality, but it's just so different now because now fans are, desensitized to where they they look for the move sets mm-hmm. you know like when i was you know at my peak 
The fans never remembered anything you did in the match. All they remembered was the finish. I mean, Al Snow said this one time, and it was maybe the greatest thing I've ever heard anybody tell another wrestler. He said, what is your job as a heat? And the kid didn't know, and he said, your job is to get that baby face over. And he looked at the baby face, and he said, what's your job? And he said, I don't know. He said, your job is to get over. That's it. He said, the baby faces sell the tickets. Those are the people that people are paying to see. Bad guys don't sell tickets. Bad guys make baby faces sell tickets. And it's, that's exactly the way the business is. And a lot of guys worry about going out there and losing or something like that. And that's so stupid. I don't give a shit if the referee pins me with an eye rake, as long as it makes sense. I mean, just tell a story. And and I think the best wrestlers do that. Uh, you know, I see guys go out there, and I saw guys do a match, and their body language tells a story, yet they never said a word the entire match. And Brian Christopher was another one of those guys that could do that. I saw him do that in Memphis one night, and it just stuck with me, where he would be so animated, you know, and just it just told a story the way he would do things. And I love doing matches like that. And I think young kids today can learn so much watching guys that do that. That'd be the most advice I'd give is just to watch every single match and take a little tidbit of everybody and make it yours instead of just trying to imitate one person. You know, I've never thought about one person as just being the person I want to emulate myself after. I want to be like... I want to be able to do it all. I want to be able to go out there and be a utility wrestler where I can get in the ring with anybody and have a good match. Do you think there's a respect? Do you think the respect's still there for the business with a lot of these guys doing it? You don't see it as much now no, as you did no. back I mean, Ring of Honor, you see a lot of it. But, I mean, there's shows I go to and nobody will even shake anybody's hand anymore. Mm. Nobody walks through. I mean, I would go around the room and shake every hand in the dressing room. As soon as I walked in, just to, you know, especially if you, I've never been there. I mean, it's their dressing room. I, it's only respectful just to come in there and shake everybody's hand at least and talk to them. And I've always treated like, I've never treated anybody like I'm better than them. Ever. I've always treated everybody like they're just as good as I am. Mm-hmm. Whether they are or not, because I think everybody deserves that respect. I mean, they're all going out there and taking bumps. They're all out there getting hurt. And we're all entertaining people. I mean, that's, just, that's, that's what I'd love to do is entertain people. You know, I mean, I didn't give a shit about landing on my head for a living. I just wanted to entertain people and make people laugh. And I wanted people to feel something instead of actually going out there and seeing something. That's cool. That's great. Great ethos. Where can people find you in terms of social media? Uh, I have a Facebook uh, and I'm actually on Instagram too, and both of all of them are David Young. Mm-hmm. I'm not hard to find <laughs> at all, to be honest with you. Uh, I'd love to come back to the UK sometime, especially, I mean, just a visit, to be honest with you. I would love to have just a chance because most of my trips overseas were always arena, hotel, mm-hmm. bus, airport, gotcha. airport, arena, hotel. Yeah. You never got to see anything. You went everywhere, but all you ever got to see was the arena hotel and, you know, Japan. You'd be on the bus all day long. We'd get on a bus at 4 a.m. and you'd be on the bus 12 hours just to get to the next show. So, I mean, I would love to just come to the UK and just walk around London, you know, just to have a day like that. That's cool, man. That's cool. David, I was going to ask you, actually, did you get booked? Did Brian Dixon book you when he came to the UK? All-star. I think I worked for NWA UK the whole time I was there. Oh, right, okay. Yeah, because yeah. a lot of guys a lot of guys who have had on, who've come over here. Andre like, oh, Baker, was that his name? I think he passed away, right? Yeah. Yeah, I was just wondering, yeah. obviously, Brian Dixon, he's been going so many years of All-Star. They did all the holiday camps. And, and stuff like that that we have over here. So yeah, I was just I was just interested to see if you had worked for Brian. That, that, yeah. No, yeah. I mean NWA UK is the only group I ever got to work yeah. for in the UK. 
That's cool. That's cool. My guest, all the way from lovely Georgia. I went to Atlanta for WrestleMania in 2011, and they looked after us. The people in Atlanta were amazing. One of the loveliest. Yes. I've been I love Atlanta. I've been all over the states. New York. The people were a bit meh. Went to Atlanta. Went went to New Orleans. The people were amazing. So hospitable. Well, in the South, in general, I Absolutely. think people were just totally different. Yeah, amazing. More amazing. laid back. Absolutely. So, yeah, by way of Tennessee as well, I've got to get that in. Former TNA star, you wrestled for Ring of Honor, Zero One. You were there as well. My guest today, David Young. Thank you very much for coming on Stu's Wrestling Podcast today. Thanks for having me. A big thank you to Powered 4 TV for putting the episodes up on the on-demand service there. Big thank you to John Scott and Rich Crowhurst for all the support. Really appreciate it week in, week out. Nothing's ever a problem. Also, we're doing Power 4 TV, Big Fight Weekly, the MMA and Boxing Show with my cousin, Rich and John. have put on these first. It's been fantastic with that. Thank you to Chris Dutton again, as always, for the superb editing. I couldn't do this without him. And fantastic job once again. Thank you to Mike Angus for the intro, as always, to the show. You can find the Stu's Wrestling Podcast merch at WrestleMerchCentral.com. There is loads of stuff, lots of different items that you can get. Mugs, hats, face coverings, t-shirts, hoodies, even the new varsity jacket with embroidered Stu's Wrestling Podcast logo on it. Big thank you once again to Dean and the team for listing my products on there. Great work, great work. And we will see you soon for the next episode of Stu's Wrestling Podcast. Podcast Network. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.